Chapter 37, 38, and 39 of Don Quixote, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by David Shep. Don Quixote, Volume 2, by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by John Ormsby. Chapter 37. wherein is continued the notable adventure of the distressed duena. The duke and duchess were extremely glad to see how readily Don Quixote fell in with their scheme, but at the moment Sancho observed, I hope the Senora duena won't be putting any difficulties in the way of the promise of my government, for I have heard a Toledo apothecary, who talked like a goldfinch, say that where duenas are mixed up nothing good could happen. God bless me how he hated them, that same apothecary. And so what I'm thinking is, if all duenas, of whatever sort or condition they may be, are plagues and busybodies, what must they be that are distressed, like this countess three skirts or three tails? For in my country, skirts or tails, tails or skirts, it's all one. Hush, friend Sancho, said Don Quixote, since this lady duena comes in quest of me from such a distant land, she cannot be one of those the apothecary meant. Moreover, this is a countess, and when countesses serve as duenas, it is in the service of queens and empresses, for in their own houses they are mistresses paramount and have other duenas to wait on them. To this, Dona Rodriguez, who was present, made answer, My lady, the duchess has duenas, in her service that might be countesses, if it were the will of fortune. But laws go as kings like. Let nobody speak ill of duenas, above all of ancient maiden ones. For though I am not one myself, I know and am aware of the advantage a maiden duena has over one that is a widow. But he who clipped us has kept the scissors. For all that, said Sancho, there is so much to be clipped about duenas, so my barber said, that it will be better not to stir the rice, even though it sticks. These squires, returned Donna Rodriguez, are always enemies, and as they are the haunting spirits of the antechamber and watch us at every step, whenever they are not saying their prayers, and that's often enough, they spend their time in tattling about us, digging up our bones and burying our good name but I can tell these walking blocks that we will live in spite of them, and in great houses too, though we die of hunger and cover our flesh, be it delicate or not, with widow's weeds, as one covers or hides a dunghill on procession day. By my faith, if it were permitted me, and time allowed, I could prove, not only to those here present, but to all the world, that there is no virtue that is not to be found in a duena. I have no doubt, said the Duchess, that my good Dona Rodriguez is right, and very much so. But she had better bide her time for fighting her own battle and that of the rest of the duenas, so as to crush the calumny of the vile apothecary, and root out the prejudice in the great Sancho Panza's mind. To which Sancho replied, Ever since I have sniffed the governorship, I have got rid of the humorous of a squire, and I don't care a wild fig for all the duenas in the world. They would have carried on this duenna dispute further, had they not heard the notes of the fife and drums once more, from which they concluded that the distressed duenna was making her entrance. The duchess asked the duke if it would be proper to go out to receive her, as she was a countess and a person of rank. In respect of her being a countess, 
said Sancho, before the duke could reply, I am for your highness going out to receive her, but in respect of her being a duena, it is my opinion you should not stir a step. Who bade thee meddle in this, Sancho? said Don Quixote. Who, senor? said Sancho. I meddle, for I have a right to meddle. As a squire who has learned the rules of courtesy in the school of your worship, the most courteous and best-bred knight in the whole world of courtliness, and in these things, as I have heard your worship say, as much is lost by a card too many as by a card too few. And to one who has his ears open, few words. Sancho is right, said the duke. We'll see what the countess is like, and by that measure the courtesy that is due to her. And now the drums and the fife made their entrance as before, and here the author brought his sort of chapter to an end, and began the next following up the same adventure, which is one of the most notable in the history. Chapter 38 Wherein is told the distressed duenna's tale of her misfortunes. Following the melancholy musicians, there filled into the garden as many as twelve duennas in two lines, all dressed in ample morning robes, apparently of milled serge, with hoods of fine white gauze so long that they allowed only the border of the robe to be seen. Behind them came the Countess Trafaldi, the Squire Trafaldin of the white beard leading her by the hand, clad in the finest unnapped black bays, such that, had it a nap, every tuft would have shown as big as the Mardos chickpea. The tail, or skirt, or whatever it might be called, ended in three points, which were borne up by the hands of the three pages, likewise dressed in mourning, forming an elegant geometrical figure with the three acute angles made by the three points, from which all who saw the peaked skirt concluded that it must be because of it the countess was called Trafaldi, as though it were countess of the three skirts, and Bengali says it was so and that by her right name she was called the Countess Lubona, because wolves bred in great numbers in her country, and if, instead of wolves, they had been foxes, she would have been called the Countess Zerona, as it was the custom in those parts for lords to take distinctive titles from the thing or things most abundant in their dominions. This countess, however, in honor of the new fashion of her skirt, dropped Lubona and took up Trafaldi. The twelve duenas and the lady came on at procession pace, their faces being covered with black veils, not transparent ones like Trafaldin's, but so close that they allowed nothing to be seen through them. As soon as the band of duenas was fully in sight, the duke, the duchess, and Don Quixote stood up, as well as all who were watching the slow-moving procession. The twelve duenas halted and formed a lane along which the distressed one advanced, Trafaldin still holding her hand. On seeing this, the Duke, the Duchess, and Don Quixote went some twelve paces forward to meet her. She then, kneeling on the ground, said in a voice hoarse and rough rather than fine and delicate, May it please your highness not to offer such courtesies to your servant, I should say to this your handmaid, for I am in such distress that I shall never be able to make a proper return, because my strange and unparalleled misfortune has carried off my wits, and I know not whither. But it must be a long way off, for the more I look for them, the less I find them. He would be wanting in wit, Signora Countess, said the Duke, who did not perceive your worth by your person, for at a glance it may be seen it deserves all the cream of courtesy and flower of polite usage. And raising her up by the hand, he led her to the seat beside the Duchess, who likewise received her in great urbanity. 
Don Quixote remained silent while Sancho was dying to see the features of Trafaldi and one or two of the many other duenas, but there was no possibility of it until they themselves displayed them of their own accord and free will. All kept still, waiting to see who would break the silence, which the distressed duenna did in these words. I am confident, most mighty lord, most fair lady, and most discreet company, that my most miserable misery will be accorded a reception no less dispassionate than generous and condolent in your most valiant bosoms, for it is one that is enough to melt marble, soften diamonds, and mollify the steel of the most hardened hearts in the world. But ere it is proclaimed to your hearing, not to say your ears, I would fain be enlightened whether there be present in this society, circle, or company, that night emasculinismus, Don Quixote de la Manchisima, and his squirissimus panza. The panza is here, said Sancho, before anyone could reply, and Don Quixotissimus, too. And so, most distressedest duenissima, you may say what you willissimus, for we are all readyissimus to do your civissimus. On this, Don Quixote rose, and addressing the distressed duena, said, If your sorrows, afflicted lady, can indulge in any hope of relief from the valor or might of any knight-errant, here are mine, which, feeble and limited though they be, shall be entirely devoted to your service. I am Don Quixote of La Mancha, whose calling it is to give aid to the needy of all sorts, and that being so, it is not necessary for you, Signora, to make any appeal to benevolence, or deal in preambles only to tell your woes plainly and straightforwardly, for you have hearers that will know how, if not to remedy them, to sympathize with them. On hearing this, the distressed duenna made as though she would throw herself at Don Quixote's feet, and actually did fall before them, and said, as she strove to embrace them, Before these feet and legs I cast myself, O unconquered knight, as before that they are the foundations and pillars of knight-errantry. These feet I desire to kiss, for upon their steps hangs and depends the sole remedy of my misfortune. O valorous errant, whose veritable achievements leave behind and eclipse the fabulous ones of the Amandites, Esplandians, and Blandices. Then turning to Panza, and grasping his hands, she said, O thou most loyal squire that ever served knight-errant in his present age or ages past, whose goodness is more extensive than the beard of Trafalden, my companion here of present, well mayest thou boast thyself that, in serving the great Don Quixote thou art serving, summed up in one, the whole host of knights that have ever borne arms in the world, I conjure thee, by what thou owest to thy most loyal goodness, that thou wilt become my kind intercessor with thy master, that he speedily give aid to this most humble and most unfortunate countess. To this Sancho made answer, As to my goodness, Signora, being as long and as great as your squire's beard, it matters very little to me. May I have my soul well-bearded and mustached when it comes to quit this life, that's the point. About beards here below I care little or nothing, but without all these blandishments and prayers I will beg my master, for I know he loves me, and besides he has need of me just now for a certain business, to help and aid your worship as far as he can. Unpack your woes and lay them before us, and leave us to deal with them, for we'll be all of one mind. The Duke and Duchess, as it was they who made the experiment of this adventure, were ready to burst with laughter at all this, and between themselves they commended the clever acting of the Trafaldi, who, returning to her seat, said, 
Queen Donna Magnuccia reigned over the famous kingdom of Candy, which lies between the great Tropobana and the southern sea, two leagues beyond Cape Camorin. She was the widow of King Archipella, her lord and husband, and of their marriage they had issue, the princess Antonmasia, heiress to the kingdom, which princess Antonmasia was reared and brought up under my care and direction, I being the oldest and highest in rank of her mother's duennas. Time passed, and the young Antomasia reached the age of fourteen, and such a perfection of beauty that nature could not raise it higher. Then it must not be supposed her intelligence was childish. She was as intelligent as she was fair, and she was fairer than all the world, and is so still, unless the envious fates and hard-hearted sisters three have cut for her the thread of life, but that they have not for heaven will not suffer so great a wrong to earth as it would be to pluck unripe the grapes of the fairest vineyard on its surface of this beauty to which my poor feeble tongue has failed to do justice countless princes not only of that country but of others were enamoured and among them a private gentleman who was at the court dared to raise his thoughts to the heaven of so great beauty trusting his youth his gallant bearing his numerous accomplishments and graces and his quickness and readiness of wit for i tell your highnesses if i am not wearying you that he played the guitar so as to make it speak and he was besides a poet and a great dancer and he could make bird-cages so well that by making them alone he might have gained a livelihood had he found himself reduced to utter poverty and gifts and graces of this kind are enough to bring down a mountain, not to say a tender young girl. But all his gallantry, wit, and gaiety, all his graces and accomplishments would have been to little or no avail towards gaining the fortress of my pupil, had not the impudent thief taken the precaution of gaining me over first. First, the villain and heartless vagabond sought to win my good will, and purchase my compliance so as to get me like a treacherous warder, to deliver up to him the keys of the fortress I had in charge. In a word, he gained an influence over my mind, and overcame my resolutions with I know not what trinkets and jewels he gave me, but it was some verse I heard him singing one night from the grating that opened on the street where he lived, that more than anything else made me give way and lead to my fall, and if I remember rightly, they ran thus. From that sweet enemy of mine my bleeding heart hath had its wound, and to increase the pain I am bound to suffer, and to make no sign. The line seemed pearls to me, and his voice sweet as syrup, and afterwards, I may say, ever since then, looking at this misfortune into which I have fallen, I have thought that poets, as Plato advised, ought to be banished from all well-ordered states, at least the amatory ones, for they write verses not like those of the Marquis of Monta, that delight and draw tears from women and children, but sharp-pointed conceits that pierce the heart like soft thorns, and like the lightning strike, leaving the raiment uninjured. Another time he sang, Come, death so subtly veiled, that I thy coming know not, how or when, lest it should give me life again, to find how sweet it is to die. And other verses and burdens of the same sort, such as enchantment when sung and fascinate when written. And then, 
when they condescended to compose a sort of verse that was at that time in vogue in candy which they called sigilius then it is that hearts leap and laughter breaks forth and the body grows restless and all the senses turn quicksilver and so i say sirs that these troubadours richly deserve to be banished to the isles of the lizards though it is not they that are at fault but the simpletons that extol them and the fools that believe in them and had i been the faithful duenna i should have been his stale conceits would have never moved me nor should i have been taken in by such phrases as in death i live in ice i burn in flames i shiver hopeless i hope and go i stay and paradoxes of that sort which their writings are full of and then when they promised the phoenix of arabia the crown of adrian the horses of the sun the pearls of the south the gold of tybar and the psalms of panchia then it is they give a loose to their pens for it costs them little to make promises they have no intention or power of fulfilling but where am i wandering to woe is me unfortunate being what madness or folly leads me to speak of the faults of others when there is so much to be said of my own again woe is me hapless that i am it was not verses that conquered me but my own simplicity it was not music made me yield but my own imprudence my own great ignorance a little cautioned opened the way and cleared the path for don clavo's advances for that was the name of the gentleman i have referred to and so with my help as go-between he found his way many a time into the chamber of the deceived antomasia deceived not by him but by me under the title of a lawful husband for sinner though i was would not have allowed him to approach the edge of her shoe sole without being her husband no no not that marriage must come first in any business of this sort that i take in hand but there was one hitch in the case which was that of inequality of rank don clivo being a private gentleman and the princess entomasia as i said heiress to the kingdom the entanglement remained for some time a secret kept hidden by my cunning precautions until i perceived that a certain expansion of waste in entomasia must before long disclose it the dread of which made us all there take counsel together. And it was agreed that before the mischief came to light, Don Clivo should demand Antomasia for his wife, before the vicar, in virtue of an agreement to marry him made by the princess and drafted by my wit, in such binding terms that the might of Samson could not have broken it. The necessary steps were taken. The vicar saw the agreement and took the lady's confession. She confessed everything in full, and he ordered her into the custody of a very worthy aguciel of the court. "'There are aguciels of the court and candy, too,' said Sancho with this, "'and poets and segudias. I swear I think the world is the same all over, but make haste, Signor Trifaldi, for it is late and I am dying to know the end of this long story.' "'I will,' replied the countess." Chapter 39, in which the Trifaldi continues her marvelous and memorable story. By every word that Sancho uttered, the Duchess was as much delighted as Don Quixote was driven to desperation. He bade him hold his tongue, and the distressed one went on to say, At length, after much questioning and answering, as the princess held to her story, without changing her or varying her previous declaration, the vicar gave his decision in favor of Don Clivo and she was delivered over to him as his lawful wife, which, 
queen donna magnuccia the princess antomasia's mother so took to heart that within the space of three days we buried her she died no doubt said sancho of course said trifaldin they don't bury the living people in candy only the dead senor squire said sancho a man in a swoon has been known to be buried before now in the belief that he was dead and it struck me that queen magnusia ought to have swooned rather than died because with life a great many things come right and the princess's folly was not so great that she need feel it so keenly if the lady had married some page of hers or some other servant of the house as many another had done so i have heard say then the mischief would have been past curing but to marry such an elegant accomplished gentleman as has been just now described to us indeed indeed though it was a folly it was not such a great one as you think for according to the rules of my master here and and he won't allow me to lie as of men of letters bishops are made so of gentlemen knights especially if they are errant knights and emperors may be made thou art right sancho said don quixote for with a knight-errant if he has but two fingers breadth of good fortune it is on the cards to become the mightiest lord on earth but let senora the distressed one proceed for i suspect she has got yet to tell us the bitter part of this so far sweet story the bitter is indeed to come said the countess and such bitter that sullient is sweet and oleander toothsome in comparison the queen then being dead and not in a swoon we buried her and hardly had we covered her with earth hardly had we said our last farewells when quistalia fando temperant a lachissimus over the queen's grave there appeared mounted upon a wooden horse the giant malambruno magnuccia's first cousin who besides being cruel is an errant enchanter and he to revenge the death of his cousin punished the audacity of don clivo and in wrath at the count macy of antomasia left them both enchanted by his art on the grave itself she being changed into an ape of brass and he into a horrible crocodile of some unknown metal while between the two there stands a pillar also of metal with certain characters in the cyrannic language inscribed upon it which being translated into candian and now into castilian contain the following sentence these two rash lovers shall not recover their former shape until the valiant michigan comes to do battle with me in single combat for the fates reserve this unexampled adventure for the mighty valor alone this done he drew from its sheath a huge broad scimitar and seizing me by the hair he made as though he meant to cut my throat and shear my head clean off i was terror-stricken my voice stuck in my throat and i was in the deepest distress nevertheless i summoned up my strength as well as i could and in a trembling and pious voice i addressed such words to him as induced him to stay the infliction of a punishment so severe he then caused all the duenas of the palace those that are here present to be brought before him and after having dwelt upon the enormity of our offence and denounced duenas their characters their evil ways and worse intrigues laying to the charge of all what i alone was guilty of he said he would not visit us with capital punishment but with others of a slow nature which would be in effect civil death forever and the very instant he ceased speaking 
we all felt the pores of our faces opening and prickling us as if with the points of needles. We at once put our hands up to our faces and found ourselves in the state you now see. Here the distressed one and the other duenas raised their veils with which they were covered and disclosed countenances all bristling with beards, some red, some black, some white, and some gristled, at which spectacle the duke and duchess made a show of being filled with wonder. Don Quixote and Sancho were overwhelmed with amazement, and the bystanders lost in astonishment, while the Trafaldi went on to say, Thus did the benevolent villain Malambruno punish us covering the tenderness and softness of our faces with these rough bristles. Would to heaven that he had swept off our heads with this enormous scimitar instead of obscuring the light of our countenances with these wool combings that cover us. For if we look into the matter, sirs, and what I am now going to say, I would say with eyes flowing like fountains, only that the thought of our misfortunes and the oceans they have already wept keep them as dry as barley spears. And so I say it without tears." Where, I ask, can a duena with a beard too too? What father or mother will feel pity for her? Who will help her? For if even when she has a smooth skin and a face tortured by a thousand kinds of washes and cosmetics, she can hardly get anybody to love her. What will she do when she shows a countenance turned into a thicket? Oh, duena's companions mine, it was an unlucky moment when we were born, and an ill-starred hour when our fathers begot us. And as she said this, she showed signs of being about to faint. End of chapter 39 Recording by David Shep from Los Angeles